It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. If you travel, you know how to pull off a perfect getaway. You know after you enroll with your Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card, you get up to $10 back monthly on U.S. rideshare purchases with select providers, like a car to the airport. You know which remote retreats have the best herbal baths. And where the Wi-Fi password is rarely used. Because you're the escape artist. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Terms apply. Purchases must be on card. Visit go.mx slash you know. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves. I'm also the co-editor of Dunking With Wolves, the Timberwolves site on the Fan Side Network. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15. You'll get 15% off your next order. Happy weekend, everybody. This is the post-game podcast from Wolves Celtics on Friday night. The Minnesota Timberwolves fell in overtime to the Celtics in a game that they led by nine at halftime, 17 midway through the third quarter, and then trailed by 11 with under four minutes to play. It was it was really kind of the full gamut. And uh, unfortunately, the Timberwolves just could not slow down Jason Tatum. He had uh, 53 on the night. And uh, I mean, that was kind of the the I mean, if we're going to boil it down to just one phrase, like a headline, I guess that's probably it, um, is, is Jason Tatum. Um, the Wolves offense was fantastic. The defense was not. Basically, what we've already grown accustomed to in the past few games that have uh, maybe not so coincidentally coincided with the return of D'Angelo Russell. Um, so we're going to talk about all that today, the game flow, the key takeaways, as well as individual studs and duds. That's all on the program today. A reminder that you can follow this podcast, anywhere you listen to podcasts, that of course includes Apple, Google, Spotify, and the all-new Odyssey app. That's Odyssey, A-U-D-A-C-Y. You can also follow on Twitter at LockedOnTWolves and at BBeacon. That's BBeacon, two Bs, two Es, C-K-E-N. Okay, so let's talk about this game flow. So overall, this was a really fun game. Um, yeah, the Wolves gave up 145, but they scored 136, and it was an overtime game. So those numbers aren't quite as insane as when they gave up 141 to the Pacers the other day. Uh, but this was a really, really fun game. Lots of offense. The Timberwolves were awesome early. Really, really hard to uh, to pinpoint any one player that was, you know stood out in the first quarter. I mean, really, I, I tweeted this out um, early in the game, but basically everyone on the Timberwolves roster played well when they saw the floor in the first quarter, quarter and a half of this game. Um, Nas Reed was fantastic. Carl Anthony Towns had 10 and five in the first quarter. Um, uh, Anthony Edwards had nine points on five shots in the first quarter. Ricky Rubio had four assists and three steals just in the first quarter. D'Lo played only five minutes off the bench in the first quarter and had four points and three assists. Perfect from the field. Um, the second quarter was a lot of Nas Reed. Nas had eight points in the second and was just, um, he made a three. He was pump faking and getting to the basket. He had a dunk. Josh Okogie was flying all over the place. He had two steals in the second quarter, three total in the first half. Um, Anthony Edwards was actually 
distributing the ball as well. He had 12 points, four assists by halftime. Um, and it was just a well-rounded performance, especially the first quarter, but the second quarter was fine too. I mean, the Celtics were a plus five in the second quarter, but Minnesota was, was, uh, at least active defensively. They were competing. Uh, they played a lot of zone, especially early in the game and it worked well. Um, the Timberwolves were, were, able to scramble and recover and and cover for one another in the zone defense concept. And and that was a smart thing by Chris Finch. As the game went on, the Celtics attacked it a little bit differently and the Timberwolves got away from it somewhat. Um, but first half, the defense was okay. The offense was great. Um, and I mean, the Wolves were really firing on all cylinders. They were up 14 at the end of the first quarter. They were up, up nine at halftime. And then in the third quarter, they came out gangbusters once again. They built their lead up to 17 uh, about midway through the quarter. Tatum didn't even score until almost the seven. It was like seven and a half minutes left in the third quarter. And he had had an 18-point first half. Tatum went scoreless for almost the first half of the third quarter. And then all of a sudden, um, all hell broke loose, uh, quite frankly. And the Timberwolves just couldn't get anything going offensively. Somehow, Josh Okogie ended up attempting um, five shots in the third quarter. Carl Anthony Towns attempted two. Um, the, I mean, part of this was the Celtics to, to their credit made plenty of defensive adjustments. They put Marcus smart one-on-one against Carl Anthony towns for a while and tried to just avoid double teaming him. And it worked. It frustrated towns. Um, and this actually was as much early fourth quarter as it was third quarter, but the Celtics were trapping, uh, towns a little bit in the post. They were doubling him a little bit and Akogi ended up just with the ball in his hands a little bit too often. This was a good Josh Akogi game to be clear, but you never want a, a quarter when, Jaden McDaniels and Josh Kogi each shoot five shots and nobody else on the Timberwolves attempts more than two field goals from the floor. Now, part of that's because Ant got to the free throw line a bunch in the third quarter, um, but the offense was just a little bit out of sorts. And then by the Celtics putting smart on towns, which was kind of late third, early fourth quarter as they were making their comeback, the, um, the, the Timberwolves just couldn't, I mean, Towns got frustrated, right? And he, and he was going one-on-one against Smart, which is what he should do. At one point, he got called for a travel and then a technical upon review for elbowing Smart in the back of the head. He had a couple of misses and, and then the Wolves got a rebound and scored type of a thing. So Towns did the right thing by going at Smart, but Smart's obviously a great defender. I mean, he can guard one through five, essentially, on the court with, with effectiveness, right? And the Timberwolves could not or the Timberwolves couldn't solve it because Towns got really frustrated, got a little bit away from his game, committed a couple of turnovers, trying to distribute. And there was kind of this, this, uh, you know, pre his break at the end of the third quarter, early fourth quarter. And then the first part of the fourth, when he came back, just a little bit discombobulated, a little bit out of sorts. And the Timberwolves offense was exactly that. Um, they, they just couldn't get anything going. And then defensively the Celtics, um, and we're going to get into this in key takeaways, but basically the Celtics just kept going back to the well on the pick and roll and the Timberwolves, um, adjusted how they were covering it. They were, they were hard hedging more often to try and force the ball out of Tatum and Jalen Brown's hands, but it wasn't necessarily working. And when it did work, they were overcorrecting it and the guys in the guarding the perimeter players in the corner uh, were getting jumpy and the, the Celtics got too many open corner threes in the fourth quarter. And part of that was just mistakes. I mean, Anthony Edwards, D'Angelo Russell were the two biggest culprits once again, uh, no surprise, but um, it, it just, the, the point of attack defense was bad all night and the pick and roll defense was really bad during the Celtics run, uh, you know, late third, early fourth quarter. And then down the stretch in this game, it, it was a ton of fun. The Celtics got up 11 doing everything that I just described. They're up 11 with, uh, with three, Jason Tatum made a three pointer with three forty seven left to put him up 11. And then Anthony Edwards came down, hit a couple free throws. Uh, the wolves ran a, a nice set where Edwards actually cut into the paint. And I talked about this I think on yet on a Friday's show about using Edwards more as a cutter, uh, maybe it was earlier in the week, but Towns made a, a perfect pass. Edwards got a dunk. I mean, he got the ball right at the rim and just 
went up and dunked it. Nothing you can do about it. Um, a little bit of a back and forth. Russell Towns both made shots. The Celtics missed a couple of threes. And then D'Lo got hot, made a couple of two-pointers, made a couple of three-pointers. The Wolves um, got a stop down one. D'Angelo Russell got the rebound, came down court, shot a three in transition with about 26 seconds left. And I, I, I had no problem with the shot. I mean, D'Lo is fantastic at pull-up threes. It would have given him a two-point lead, and it was actually a two-for-one, right? I mean, if he had made it, the Celtics would have called timeout down two. And if the Celtics had scored, the Wolves would have gotten one final possession. So everything about it was, was fine. And it almost went in, but he missed it. The Celtics got the rebound. The Timberwolves were just trailing him enough that by the time four of the five Timberwolves crossed the timeline at half court to offensive rebound the ball. The Celtics were already headed back the other way. And for whatever reason, the Timberwolves didn't hustle back defensively. The Celtics could have burned more clock. Instead, they inexplicably just Tatum just dunked the ball with 17 seconds left to give them a three point lead. If it had been, you know, a two point game and that gave him a four point lead. Sure. But he, instead of wasting probably another five or six seconds before anybody on the Timberwolves could have recovered to foul, he just dunked it. Timberwolves timeout down three and they ran two-man game with Russell and Towns. Towns gave it up to Russell, and uh, the Wolves actually read this perfectly. Russell got off a tough, contested shot that he banked in from the top of the key with just under 10 seconds to play. Celtics call timeout. Um, the Wolves actually cover what the Celtics did well. Josh Kogi did a fantastic job on Tatum and contested the shot, and the game went to overtime. Overtime was a little bit back and forth early, um, and, I mean, it was just more of what got the Celtics back into the lead in the fourth quarter, right? I mean, it was the Timberwolves could not defend the three-point line. The Celtics ran every now and again. It was almost like, I'd have to go back and look, but certainly the first play of the game and the first play of overtime, the Celtics ran what might've been an identical play with a a, a back screen to to get a back cut for um, for Jason Tatum for a dunk. I mean, it was just way too easy. I think at the start of the game, it was Jalen Brown, but in, in the fourth quarter, or excuse me, overtime, it was Jason Tatum. And it's just a free bucket because the Timberwolves don't communicate defensively. And so every team knows they can run these plays to get a back cut for a lob. And that's exactly what they did. And um, the Celtics got a dunk, got a quick lead. Towns made a three. And then it was kind of back and forth. Um, but the Celtics were making threes and the Wolves were making twos was basically the gist of it. Kemba Walker hit back-to-back threes, sandwiched around D'Angelo Russell two-pointers. Um, and I mean, that was, they they eventually built this thing up to uh, close to double figures again, but the Timberwolves just could not slow down the Celtics defensively. And part of that's a credit to Jason Tatum. Obviously he was fantastic in this game and is a fantastic player as well as Jalen Brown was really good too. I don't, you know, he shouldn't get lost in the shuffle. He had 26 on only 15 shots. Tatum had 53 on only 25 shots. He hit six threes and 15 free throws in this game. And it wasn't necessarily a case of the whistle not going the Wolves way. I actually thought it was decently officiated outside of the first quarter. The first quarter was miserable. Um, Josh Okogie got clobbered twice in a row almost on fast breaks and, and he didn't get to the free throw line. Uh, but I thought beyond that stretch, the rest of the game was officiated pretty much fairly, but Tatum was so aggressive and the Timberwolves were always seemingly always getting caught in a bad way defensively. He got to the free throw line 16 times and made 15 of them. And that was a big difference in this game. So super fun game. Um, you know, big swings with the Wolves up 17, then down 11 in the final four minutes and then to overtime and then, uh, you know, brief overtime lead. And then they lose by nine. Um, it was entertaining to be sure. And it was great that the Timberwolves were competitive in this one. Uh, you know, the Celtics though, this isn't the same Celtics team from the last three years. Don't, don't kid yourself. They were 500 entering this game. So the fact that the Wolves defense was, was this shoddy was definitely disappointing. Uh, but again, positive signs offensively. And that's what I want to get into next is 
is, uh, well, I guess both of those things, right? I mean, what happened defensively? What can we take away from the offensive performance from the Timberwolves? So that'll be what we do next before we get to individual studs and duds later in the show. First, though, let's talk about our title sponsor from today's program. That's Bilt Bar. Bilt Bar is the best tasting protein bar of all time, bar none. Tastes exactly like a candy bar. It's more delicious than ever. There's six new flavors. Cherry Barcia, Cookies and Cream, and Caramel Brownie are my favorites from that group. Also, you have to try Toffee Almond, Mint Brownie, Salted Caramel, uh, Coconut almond, any of them with co- coconut, they're all fantastic. Every single built bar is covered in 100% chocolate. They're all soft and easy to chew, and they're perfect if you're health conscious or if you're just trying to lose or, or maybe even just maintain weight while still indulging in a delicious treat that, again, tastes exactly like a candy bar. Every single built bar is low calorie. Low sugar, high in protein, and high in fiber. Perfect if you're on the keto diet. You go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCK15. I did that earlier this week. Once again, I, I can't stop, and I should. I won't stop either. I will keep I will keep ordering Built Bars. And I received 15% off your next order. You can do the same thing. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Berea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Berea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Berea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, let's talk key takeaways in this game. Number one, point of attack defense. Um, It it was bad again. I mean, it wasn't actually quite as bad as it was against the Pacers. I I felt like the Timberwolves were engaged defensively. Josh, for the most part, Josh Okogi was very good in this game um, on both ends of the floor. And the Timberwolves got a bunch of steals early in the first quarter, really the first half. Both Rubio and Okogi um, were extremely active in the passing lanes. And I I didn't think it was to the defense's detriment. I thought that they were mostly intelligent with how they did it. They each had four steals for the game. Um, Rubio had three in the first quarter. Okogi had three in the first half. And uh, again, I don't think it was a case of just over gambling. I mean, the Wolves had 14 steals in this game. I thought they were opportunistic in, in the right way. And there weren't nearly as many blow buys and certainly not by Josh Okogi. He was very good on Tatum when he was matched up against him. He was good on Brown when he was matched up against him. Got a couple of turnovers, you know, at one point in the fourth quarter, he knocked the ball off of Tatum out of bounds on the baseline. Okogi was good. He just, he was. Jade McDaniels was okay. He wasn't quite as good as a Kogi. He still struggles sometimes getting blown by on the perimeter and, and he can make up for it because of his wingspan and his his athleticism. But um, McDaniels' point of attack defense was not outstanding. And then 
outside of that, I mean, I mentioned this in the in the first segment, but as as the fourth quarter went on, the Timberwolves began to hedge harder and harder on on pick and roll game, and the the bigs, you know, in most cases, Towns was getting pulled higher and higher to try and contest threes. Sometimes he didn't get high enough and the Celtics just splashed threes. That happened a couple of times where he just didn't quite get high enough and, and Tatum made him pay. And usually it was Tatum. Um, and then there were other instances where, where the Timberwolves actually played the pick and roll, the initial action well, but it was the backside defenders that struggled. So uh, there were plenty of examples of Anthony Edwards, for instance, overreacting to the action at the top of the key and shading himself more towards the wing, trying to cover for D'Angelo Russell on a rotation and leaving his guy wide open in the corner. D'Angelo Russell did it a couple of times too, where he just completely um, you know, tried to help on the drive, but not really because he does the thing that D'Lo does too often, which is he kind of feigns as though he's going to help and he just kind of gets caught in no man's land and he's not helping on the drive and he's not getting back to his man on the perimeter and the Celtics splash a wide open three from the corner. That happened over and over to mostly Edwards and Russell, but they weren't the only ones. I mean, Rubio was guilty a couple of times, um, it, it, but typically a Kogi and McDaniels were involved in the point of attack, you know, defending the point of attack with Towns. And Towns made some mistakes, again, allowing some open threes by not hedging hard enough. But I think, to me, the bigger thing was the likes of Edwards and Russell and, in some cases, McDaniels. But some of these guys aren't used to defending the pick and roll the way that they did in this game against the Celtics. Because, you know, I I don't know if this is true, but I don't, let's call it 90% of the time, 95% of the time, the Timberwolves play drop coverage in the pick and roll. We saw that change a couple of times post All-Star break. I forget which game it was, but the Wolves, based on the personnel of the opposition, they they switched up what they were doing defensively. I actually think they did it against Portland. Um, and which of course is ironic with Vanterpool being the former coach there that made that coverage work for, for that Blazers team with Lillard and McCollum. Um, but Almost all the time, the Wolves play drop coverage and pick and roll, and that changes your assignment on the wings as well. And I feel like maybe that is what happened with Edwards, especially as well as Russell and others, where, you know, they're thinking, if I'm in drop coverage, I've got to help on the drive. You know, I've got to help on the perimeter. And it's less of a, you know, worry about my guy and stay home because you need to help in these different areas. But when you're hedging the pick and roll as hard as the Timberwolves were, you shouldn't, I mean, it's up to Towns and the other, you know, the, the, the defender guarding the ball handler to contain on the perimeter and they're kind of on an Island and they were for the most part doing their job. The problem was, is that the other guys on the perimeter were over helping too often. And, and that was the problem. So um, not the only problem, but to me, that was the biggest issue down the stretch. Once the Wolves switched up their pick and roll coverage. And I thought what, what Finch decided to do in Vanterpool or whoever made that call um, was the right thing. I thought that the Wolves were guarding the pick and roll effectively up top except for those handful of possessions where Towns wasn't getting out far enough. Um, there were some problems early in the fourth quarter while the Celtics were making their comeback. Jordan McLaughlin is a, is a good on-ball defender, but he's not physical enough or big enough um, to get through screens with any, you know, and then the Celtics were running double drag screens. They were running actions where he was having to fight through multiple screens and he couldn't. And that was part of the problem. Nas Reed, if if the Celtics could get him in space, they just blew past him. And that continues to be his biggest problem. He only played 11 minutes in this game, partly because things started to get out of hand and then Towns was just the guy the rest of the way. But Reed could not contain in the pick and roll. And um, that that was another kind of ongoing issue in this one. Um, second second takeaway, Carl Towns was fantastic in this game. He's really good. 
but he did the thing where he gets kind of out of sorts um, and he gets a little out of control because of the coverage, you know, smart frustrates him and then the doubles frustrate him. And then he gets frustrated with the non-calls and then um, he thinks somebody misses a coverage defensively and it kind of snowballs and he gets a little bit out of, out of control to me though. What was almost as notable was that he, he contained him or he, he, I guess recalibrated himself is probably the better way to say it in the fourth quarter to where he, he knew what was happening. He was like, Oh man, the Celtics got back in this game. Let's get back under control. And he somehow managed to do that. And I don't know if in the moment, maybe he realized he was, he was a little bit out of control or if the coaching staff said something to him, but whatever happened down the stretch, him and D'Lo were both phenomenal to, to get the Wolves back into a game that they once led by 17 and then were down 11. Usually the Timberwolves or any team at that point would just kind of mail it in and say, all right, let's just roll over on this one because we gave up this huge lead. We have no chance on the road against Boston, but uh, the Timberwolves did it and, and that they got back into it, forced it to overtime. And that was Towns and D'Angelo Russell. Also, Anthony Edwards, we're going to shout him out quite a bit here in studs and duds because he was really good in this game. Um, but I thought it was notable that Cat was a really good and B after getting out of control, figured it out, got himself back under control and was a big part of the Timberwolves comeback. Um, also this isn't breaking news for anybody, but this game was yet another, I, I mean, I, I don't know, I guess we could say this about really all three games since D'Lo has been back. D'Angelo Russell is so good on offense. He is such a good offensive player, fantastic feel and touch and, um, rhythm and a great passer. All those things are phenomenal. He is equally as terrible on defense. And we've known this, right? Um, my take when the Timberwolves traded for him a little over a year ago and then and then over the offseason when we spent a lot of time talking about, you know, could the Wolves defend anybody with D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns as their two best players? And I believed that what the Wolves needed to do was just get him to play harder in pick and roll game. They needed him to um, fight through screens. They needed him to just be active because he's got good hands. He's got good basketball IQ. He's got good size, all of those things. He's not a great athlete, um, but he's never going to be an all world defender. He, they just need him to be okay. Well, he has not been okay lately. Um, he was passable at times in the pick and roll, which I think is maybe the nicest way to say it. But the bigger issue for me was the, the off ball stuff where he just kind of like stands there and points and you watch him on a, on a possession. It's kind of like James Harden six years ago or, or whatever the, you know, the, the gif of him just back cut after back cut, right? I mean, it's, it's similar to that where Russell's a smart player as is James Harden. Um, but for some reason, it's like his, it's like his cement blocks on his feet defensively. Sometimes when he's off the ball, he just kind of stands in one spot and drifts and he doesn't commit and he doesn't, he doesn't, um, you know, he doesn't stunt and recover ever, ever. Um, he doesn't help. If he helps, it's like a fake help. He doesn't completely help and commit. Um, or he doesn't get back to his man. He's just kind of always perpetually in no man's land is what it feels like watching D'Angelo Russell on defense when he's not guarding the ball, when he's guarding the ball and he gets into a stance, he can be okay because of his size and because of his, his awareness on the court for the most part. Um, but it's like these off ball situations, like he's content to just kind of point and like, you know, Hey, you, cover over there and and that's my guy, but I'm not actually going to get out there. That's what we're seeing from D'Angelo Russell defensively. If he could just stop that and he could be, you know, decent defensively, he is so good on offense that this team would, I, I really do think it, it all hinges on that. I mean, Towns, Towns has not been a great defender this year, but he's improved. He's shown commitment to improving. He has been better and he is, you know, at worst, I would say he's an average defender this year. Um, and they can, 
if Russell and Towns can both be average defenders and you add in a couple of average to plus defenders like Josh Akogi and Jade McDaniels, then this defense could become respectable pretty quickly. Um, they've rebounded the ball let, better lately. Part of that's due to they've played some teams that don't rebound well, but they've been competitive on the glass. Um, in this game, they got beat, you know, they were minus eight on the glass, but they were competitive. You know, they, they've gotten in the mix. They've gotten big rebounds. They've somewhat limited second chance points. And that's all. That was kind of one of the other big issues. And Russell's a decent rebounding point guard as well, again, because of size and, and court awareness and all those things. Um, but it's just the point of attack defense. And D'Lo is such a big part of that and and a, a big part of why it's not good as well. I also think it's notable. Josh Okogie and Jade McDaniels are both good defenders, but it seems like they're a lot better because Timberwolves fans are, we're comparing them to Anthony Edwards. We're comparing them to D'Angelo Russell. We're comparing them to, um, you know, other guys we've seen the Timberwolves put out, Jake Lehman at times on the perimeter that just get beat consistently. Um, and then you watch a team like the Celtics with Marcus Smart and, uh, you know, other guys on their team who are, who are solid. I mean, Jalen Brown's a solid defender, right? Um, and you realize, man, the, you know, the Timberwolves have a couple of good defenders and they have a bunch of minus defenders, basically. And then you, you find a team that has several good to average defenders and then a couple of like genuinely plus defenders. And um, it makes you realize how big of a difference that, that could make. And and I, I do think that both the Kogi and McDaniels could be could turn into genuinely plus defenders. But part of that is even if you're a great individual defender, you need some you need your teammates to help you out. And I think occasionally the lack of help defense, the lack of defensive rebounding, the lack of awareness and communication with the players around them um, can affect Akogi McDaniels defensively as well. So all that to say, they're both good defenders, but man, it's fun to watch Marcus Smart play defense. Um, and it's fun to watch the Celtics play. Um, and when they're playing, the Celtics weren't great defensively in this game overall, but to watch a team that, that, knows what they're doing uh, defensively and is certainly well-coached, not suggesting that the Timberwolves are straight up not well-coached team, but to, you know, when you see a team that is well-coached, it's, it's very clear. Um, and the Pacers were that way too this week as well. Um, but it also goes to show you just how good the Wolves offense has been. The fact that they hung, what was it? 136, I think 136 on Wednesday as well as, as uh, or 137 on Wednesday and 136 in an overtime game on Friday. So the Timberwolves offense is not, and it never was going to be the issue once they started figuring things out. And now that D'Angelo Russell's back, it's, can they figure out anything, any semblance of a defense? Um, okay, let's talk individual studs and duds coming up next here, and then we'll put a bow on the show. We'll look ahead briefly to Sunday's matchup against Zach Levine, the fantastic Zach Levine in the Chicago Bulls. First, though, let's talk about betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. The NBA, the NHL, and MLB are now all in full swing. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV, real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today. Receive 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with the promo code LOCKEDON. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. 
Get more analysis on the top prospects available in this year's NBA draft with the Locked On NBA Draft podcast. Scouting reports, draft rumors, mock drafts, and more four days a week from credentialed draft experts. Follow the Locked On NBA Draft podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. Okay, let's talk individual studs and duds from this game. Um, as I mentioned at the top of the show, really the whole first half of the game, the Wolves didn't have anybody that struggled. I mean, Jer- Culver got into the game, defended a little bit, got in, he committed three fouls in five minutes, but he he you know he even looked okay. Was a plus four in his limited minutes. Um, the whole team played well, and, and down the stretch, it was really kind of more of the same. It was that it was that third and fourth quarter stretch where they had some guys who couldn't defend, couldn't do much offensively, and it was a little bit frustrating. Um, in terms of overall studs and duds, um, it's easier to pick out studs from this one. We'll, we'll start there. Let's go with Carl Anthony Towns. 30 points, 12 rebounds, 7 assists, and a steal. He was 10 of 22 shooting, so not super efficient from the floor, but fine. 4 of 9 outside the arc, so starting to find his 3-point stroke. He only attempted 6 free throws, which is incredible for how often he touched the ball in the post early in this game. Late in the game, I didn't really mention this as part of takeaways, but the Wolves offensively, adjusted to put towns at the elbow more often. They did more, they ran more horn sets and more uh, things at the free throw line extended um, kind of the mid post area for towns because a, it's a lot harder to double in that area of the floor and B it's a lot harder for guys like Marcus smart to be genuinely physical, fair or unfair. Officials are far more likely to call fouls on the perimeter. If you put your hands in a guy than in the post and, and obviously the rules are a little different when somebody's in the low post, but still, if you put two hands on a guy, it's a foul regardless. And towns doesn't always get that call. Um, so towns around the elbow was fantastic distributing the ball. He had seven assists. It felt like he, I, I would imagine his expected assists or potential assists are probably 10 or 11 or 12 in this game because he was on time and on target with many of his passes. He did have six turnovers. Uh, one was an offensive foul. One was a turnover or excuse me, a travel. Um, and there were a couple of bad passes in there where he just kind of tried to fling a cross court pass out of a double, which is exactly what the Celtics were and what opposing defenses are trying to do to him. But for the most part, Towns was really good. 30, 12 and seven and a steal, four three pointers, six made free throws. And he was uh, ultimately was in minus four in this game and a game they lost by nine. But a good game from Carl Anthony Towns. Um, secondly, I'm actually going to give Josh Okogie a stud. And I, I realized that he guarded Tatum for a good chunk of this game and Tatum dropped 53 but Akogi wasn't bad defensively, and he wasn't actively bad offensively either. He had 16 points, three rebounds, four steals, and an assist, zero turnovers. You don't really ever want him shooting the ball 11 times in a game, but he made six of his attempts, and most of them were at the rim. He was two of four on threes. He made two corner threes and got to the free throw line made once and made both free throws. He should have gotten to the free throw line two other times early. He missed two layups in transition. That should have been foul calls. So really, you take those field goal attempts off, and he should be six of nine shooting with six free throw attempts. Honestly, I mean, they were that, the missed calls were that bad that I, I'd be willing to do that in my fake box score here. Um, that he, he should have been six of nine shooting from the field, but a good game from Josh Kogi. Awesome to see him compete, get, get to play 37 minutes in this game too. And he didn't play Wednesday because of personal reasons. So, um, he was a little bit more fresh and, uh, was, was fantastic in this game overall. Um, I'm actually going to go, I'm going to go uh, four studs on this one because why not? Anthony Edwards, 24 points on only 12 shots. I don't think we've seen this kind of efficiency. I mean, that's that's an average of two points per shot attempt for Anthony Edwards. That does not happen. It's, you know, he needs to be commended for this game. And I haven't really talked about him other than some of his defensive issues. So let's underscore this 24 points on 12 shots. Uh, two made threes on six attempts. So he was five of six inside the arc, five of six on two point attempts, eight of eight at the free throw line. He's starting to attack more often, 
both off the dribble and as a cutter. He's getting to the free throw line more often. Part of that's technique. Part of it is officials, the whole, like, I guess he finally gets respect. You know, he's a rookie, but he's good. So let's give, let's give him some foul calls. That's a real thing that happens. It certainly, it certainly seems like that's happening. Um, it's a combination of those things. And his free throw rate is going up, up, up after staying really low all season below a 0.2, meaning for every field goal attempt he shoots, he gets 0.2 free throw attempts. It's been below that basically all season and it's rising now. Um, I think we're going to get above that mark fairly quickly. 24 points, five rebounds, five assists and a steal. He did have three turnovers. He was only a minus one in 40 minutes. He was bad defensively, but really, really good on offense. So props to Anthony Edwards for staying within the flow of the offense um, you know, he was tied for third on the team in field goal attempts behind Towns and D'Angelo Russell. And that's I mean, that's where it should be, right? I mean, he shouldn't be an insanely high usage guy when both Towns and Russell are on the floor. He should be the third option. Um, certainly with no Malik Beasley, he should be. So, um, and the five assists were great too. Uh, it, to see him have a positive assist to turnover ratio was also really good to see. D'Angelo Russell's the fourth stud. Again, he was also bad defensively, but we could call out almost every Timberwolves player besides Josh Okogie for struggling defensively in this one. 26 points, eight assists, four rebounds for D'Lo. He ended up playing 29 minutes after being in an early 20s minutes restriction earlier in the week. He played 29 minutes, was part of the crunch time lineup with the rest of the starting lineup. Sands Ricky Rubio. So Rubio only played 23 minutes in this game and the Wolves went with the one point guard lineup because they needed a Kogi for defense. They needed McDaniels for defense and rebounding and um, they needed uh, they needed Anthony Edwards out there for some scoring punch. So you weren't going to take or you weren't going to put Rubio on the floor with D'Lo. Um, so D'Lo had 26 points was really quiet. I think he had like seven shot attempts coming into the fourth quarter all game long and then just kind of went off at the end of the fourth quarter, scored a little bit in overtime, finished with 26, eight and four, only had two turnovers, uh, 10 of 18 shooting, three of nine on threes, got to the free throw line four times. It's a super small sample, but this week he's been more aggressive getting into the paint and getting to the line. I don't know how much of that is a Chris Finch influence versus maybe fresh legs for Russell. He also had the knee surgery. So maybe he's maybe earlier this year, he was avoiding contact even more than usual. Um, And I talked about this a lot back in December and January, how, yeah, we know it's baked in. Russell doesn't get to the free throw line. He doesn't get into the paint, but it was beyond that. It was a complete aversion to it earlier this year. And now it's, it's coming back into his game a little bit. And that's been good to see. Um, so I, he was good. I mean, he was on the court for a lot of the Celtics big run early in the fourth quarter and, and was miserable defensively, but he did enough offensively to cancel most of that back out down the stretch and get the Wolves back even and into overtime. So that deserves to be commended to be sure. All right. In terms of duds in this game, offensively, the Wolves were good. I mean, they shot 49% from the field. They attempted 30 free throws and made 27 of them, 90% from there, uh, 36% outside the arc. Hard to call it any one player in terms of defensive, or excuse me, offensive issues in this one, but I'm going to try. We're going to give a dud to Ricky Rubio. He wasn't actually all that bad in this game. In fact, he was one of only two Timberwolves players with a positive plus minus in this game, believe it or not, but he was one of five shooting, missed three threes, had a couple of, of uh, you know, shots he shouldn't have pulled the trigger on, frankly. I mean, he had one in the fourth quarter where the Wolves got an offensive rebound and he just like immediately launched a three and it just didn't make sense. Um, One of five shooting. He had four points, seven assists, four rebounds, four steals and zero turnovers. So this is kind of a, this is a tough dud to hand out, but it's strictly because of the one of five shooting and the only four points as a starter in this game. Um, But 
he was okay defensively uh, guarding in, in ball screen action, and he had the four steals, three of them in the first quarter very early in this game, was really active. It, so it's kind of a, a tepid dud for this one. And it's really hard to give out another one. You know, Nas Reed was was great early in the game, quiet late, was bad defensively late. Jade McDaniels had a solid all-around game, but he only had three rebounds in 44 minutes. I mean, he's your starting power forward. That can't happen. And again, you're minus eight on the glass. You can't play. He led the Timberwolves in minutes with 44 because of his defense, but he pulled down three rebounds. Two of them were offensively. He played 44 minutes and had one defensive rebound. Um, that's a big problem for non-Towns big men. Nas Reed, Wancho Hernan Gomez, Jade McDaniels. They're all at best average rebounders, but for the most part, they've been minus rebounders this year. And that's a huge problem for Minnesota. And it doesn't, I don't think it gets talked about enough. Um, but that's something the Wolves need to look for in a, any future pairing with Towns is somebody that can at least hold their own on the glass. Taj Gibson wasn't a perfect offensive fit with Carl Anthony Towns, but the man could rebound despite his size uh, because of his wingspan and his, you know, his ability to box out and be physical. And the Wolves don't have a guy who can do that now. Now, McDaniels should grow into it with his length and athleticism. Um, and he plays hard. It's just, it's a wonder to me that he only had one defensive rebound. Part of it was because of his, his defensive assignment. He gets pulled away from the rim quite a bit, but still, uh, he's got to be a little bit more active on the glass. Um, he actually finished the game a minus 17. Now that's because he played 44 minutes, but still, um, McDaniels wasn't a dud in this one. He was good defensively. He contributed offensively, but there's certainly things to to keep an eye out uh, that he's going to need to improve moving forward. Okay. Um, that's all about this game. The Wolves have the Bulls on Sunday and Chicago's coming off somewhat of a deflating loss that they just had uh, uh, to the uh, to the Atlanta Hawks on Friday night. Levine had 39 points in the first half, 50 in the game, and they lost by 12 to Atlanta. But they had had some big wins this week. They beat the Pacers easily on Tuesday. They beat the Raptors um, pretty easily. They beat the Nets this week. So the Bulls are, are 22 and 29 on the season, but have, for the most part, have been playing better of late and, of course, made the big trades. They have Nikola Vucevic is in the fold there now. Um, Levine's been fantastic, was an all-star this year for the first time. So should be a lot of fun to see Zach and the Bulls uh, back at Target Center on uh, on Sunday evening. So we'll have a post-game pod that posts late Sunday, early Monday. So keep an eye out for that. If you're not already following, you can follow the show anywhere you listen to podcasts. That includes Apple, Google, Spotify, and the all-new Odyssey app, A-U-D-A-C-Y, the all-new Odyssey app. Uh, but really, anywhere you get podcasts, you can follow and be sure that you are listening for the post-game pod Sunday night. Monday morning. You can also follow on Twitter at Locked on T Wolves or at B Beacon is my account. That's B Beacon, two B's, two E's, C K E N. All right, that's all we have for you today. Thanks once again for listening to the Locked on Wolves podcast. Of course, we're part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Remember, the Locked on Network is all your local experts on all the biggest stories. Today's episode was brought to you by Built Bar. You can go to builtbar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15. You'll get 15% off your next order. Once again, I'm Ben Beacon. This is the Locked on Wolves podcast, and we'll catch you next time. Clover gives you the power to run a smarter, faster restaurant. See everything in real time with the kitchen display system. Streamline takeout and delivery with online ordering. With the right tech, quick service is getting even quicker. Clover. Accept payments, run your business, and sell more. For a limited time only, visit Clover.com to get a $450 statement credit on qualified hardware purchases. That's www.clover.com. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.